previously on Undertelly. JT, in a nutshell, how right did neighbours get hot air ballooning? On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being totally wrong and 10 being totally right, I'd give this about a 3. Last time on Undertelly, we were joined by our special guest John Turnbull to answer the question on everyone's minds. Just how accurately is hot air ballooning represented on Aussie TV? This was a mind-numbing decision from both a writing perspective and anyone who knows anything about ballooning. Today, JT is back as we set out to find if Aussie TV can redeem itself from the relatively poor efforts set by neighbours and rescue special ops. Can't they just shoot that thing down? Welcome to part three of Undertelly's Hot Air Ballooning Expose. You're listening to Undertelly with Oleg Novak, Mount Cola's fastest growing Aussie TV podcast. JT, welcome back to Undertelly. Thank you very much. Now, JT, hot air ballooning. It was the focal point of our very first ever episodes of Undertelly all the way back in 2018. So it is a topic that's very close to our hearts here on the podcast, which is why we are particularly excited to have you back on the show today to continue the discussion, to continue the expose, and to take a look back at some more Aussie TV shows, plus an international wildcard for the first time ever, to answer whether Aussie TV can redeem itself from the pretty lacklustre performances set in our last episodes, JT. We did set a fairly low bar, I've got to say. Uh, particularly, um, I believe, with um, with Neighbours. Uh, there was just I, I just re-watched some of that footage and there was just some shocking gear going on there. Yes, I am optimistic for some more positive results this time. It's also another first that you're part of today, JT, our very first remote recording via Zoom. The pandemic has meant we've had to improvise, so apologies. The audio may not be up to the usual very high standards of Mount Cola's fastest growing TV podcast. Now, for those that haven't listened to part one and two of our ballooning expose, I just want to remind our listeners of your hot air ballooning pedigree, JT. You are a stalwart of the ballooning community, but that's just the start of it because your parents met ballooning, your mum brought one of the first balloons to Australia in the late 70s, you got your licence, your ballooning licence at the age of 15, you were one of the youngest pilots in Australia, you have had your licence for 28 years, your wife is your crew chief, your kids are all involved, you've even written a book about hot air ballooning in film and TV, it's called That's Not Right, it's an ebook. it's available online. JT, you clearly live and breathe hot air ballooning, and that's a pretty impressive list of ballooning achievements. Um, you Look, you have everything correct there, Oleg, except you didn't adjust for time dilation because it's now 30 years <laughs> that I've been flying, and hence two years since we did the uh, the first podcast. So uh, well done on, uh, on you know getting to to that duration of podcast, my friend. <laughs> um, yeah, no, look, it's it's um it's a great family sport. It's how my parents met, as you say, my uh, kids are into it in varying degrees. Um, my daughter, Caitlin's very keen to get her license as soon as she can. So it's one of those things that is an amazing thing to do. Uh, unfortunately, on hold, like many other things due to the current COVID crisis. 
So given the ballooning community is so tight, JT, how has COVID-19 affected you guys? Look, it's interesting. There are a lot of Zoom calls going on that um, sort of go on for many hours and a lot of talk about when people can get back into the sky. I think the moment that uh, the restrictions are lifted to the event, to the extent that we can do that, there'll be a lot of balloons out there because everyone is getting very itchy feet to, um, for want of a better term. Um, and I think a lot of balloons are drinking more than they used to as well because we don't have to get up or even the professionals aren't having to get up at like four o'clock in the morning. So, you know, they can have more than one drink in the evening. Okay, well, in the absence of being able to fly, I hope this playlist of some of the finest and also not so finest uh, Aussie TV dramas featuring hot air balloons has made up for that somewhat, JT. Uh, today, we'll be having a look back at Rake, Please Like Me, Home and Away, All Saints, and a wild card in The Simpsons. I know technically animated and American, uh, but it'll make for an interesting comparison with our other shows. And JT, without giving anything away, do you have any insights you'd like to share based on your viewing over the past week? I think they're getting better, Ollie. Um, be it, you know, our selection of shows or, um, you know, just them getting a better handle on how ballooning works, oh, with one clear obse- uh, exception. Um, yeah, there was a, a couple of really well done things here. And I will give an early shout out to, to Please Like Me because they managed to, to pretty much tick every box, um, which can't be said for some of the other things that we've watched. JT, when you watch a new show that features hot air ballooning in some capacity, I'm interested, is it always the same things that they are getting wrong? Or is it always something new that each show seems to get wrong? It's interesting, Alec. There there are a few things that um, they generally get wrong. I mean, you get some that that tend to get things right. But the um, the trope of coming arriving and a balloon's inflated in, in the launch field or in a paddock somewhere, uh, or even in the middle of Sydney in the case of one of the shows that we watched, um, is just, it's not the way it works. Obviously, you've been ballooning. You get there an hour or so before you have the balloon in the air. Everyone helps to get the balloon up. It's part of the experience. So just rolling up and seeing a balloon essentially parked there, often without a pilot, mind you, um, is something that they really lean into. The other things are, and this is purely, I guess, a, a practical thing from a, you know, trying to film a TV show. They seldom use the burner um, when people are in the basket. When, it, when they do, it's a standout, actually. But yeah, often you will have a whole flight depicted with not one use of the burner, which is a little bit uh, counterintuitive to anyone who's ever been in a balloon. Interesting. And I think we found that with Rescue Special Ops and Neighbours, that they certainly had a lot of common themes that they got wrong. If we look back at them for a sec, there was... A lot of things such as lots of false drama through shots of loose propane hoses, overuse of the burner, underuse of the burner, leaving the balloon unattended, unrealistic explosions, and also my favourite one, just a general misunderstanding of the basic laws of physics. Yeah, the, the physics thing was what got me when I watched it again this morning because, yeah, they just don't understand that, you know, when you have a, uh, a body that's uh, in equilibrium um, as a balloon is when it's flying straight and level and you throw out something like a tank or say someone jumps out, um, then that will cause the balloon to go up, not crash into the trees below it, for instance. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fun thing. The one thing that, that really stood out to me um, 
particularly about neighbours, was how much they lean into the, the dramatic shots of something that's working perfectly fine. And even if it wasn't, you have two redundant systems for, you know, in case something goes wrong. Do you know what else I realised re-listening to our episodes, JT? Rescue Special Ops was about a flyaway, not a runaway bride. Uh, Neighbours was about a hen's night gone wrong. So all these disasters are wedding-related. Clearly, Aussie drama seems to suggest you should not do anything remotely wedding-related with a hot air balloon. And look, I would agree with that, really, because it's not a reliable either mode of transport or point of you know entertainment. If you've got a wedding... Um, and you want a balloon in the background and it's a tad windy, then it's just not going to happen. So look, if you learn anything from watching Australian TV drama, it's don't get married in a balloon. There you go. And who said Aussie TV wasn't educational? You can propose in a balloon. That's very romantic. (laughs) Before we get on to our first show, which is Rake, let's just recap the outcome of our last episode. So Neighbours, you ranked a 3 out of 10, and Rescue Special Ops, a 5 out of 10. So that is the bar that we are playing with for this episode. That is indeed the bar, and I believe, just to give a bit of a teaser, we will go both over and under that bar. Oh, I'm very much looking forward to this, JT. Very quickly, because in your book, you have ranked a lot of TV shows and movies. What is an average kind of rating that you have given in your life to how hot air ballooning has been represented in film and TV? Generally around a six. You know, if you manage to actually get a real balloon on screen that's in the air, you know, that that goes for a, a good thumbs up from me, at least a couple of positive points. Um, you know, if they use the burner, that gives them, you know, a little point more. But look, yeah, about a six. It's, it's rare that a show will be approaching a nine or a ten. It's depressingly common that you'll be getting ones and twos. All right. Well, last time we looked at two dramas in Rescue Special Ops and Neighbours. So now it's time for what I guess we can call a dramedy. So let's catch up with Cleaver Green, our favourite self-destructive Sydney barrister, and take a look at our first show for today. And that is, of course, Rake. Specifically, we are looking at Season 3, Episode 8 of Rake, which was the season finale in 2014. Lots of ballooning action in this episode, so let's get some dramatic music happening as we recap and dissect the events. At the end of this episode, Cleaver and Barney are about to go on a hot air balloon ride as the season comes to a close. They've been through a big rough patch this last season, and when they arrive, I think you've hinted at this earlier, JT, Cleaver arrives at the field and the balloon is just sitting there completely inflated, no burner running, and the balloon is tied down with rope attached to all four corners of the balloon. Cleaver's ranting to Barney as he walks around, detaching the ropes one by one. Now, I'm going to pause there before we talk about the rest of the story, JT, because there's a lot of action that happens in this episode. Up to this point, though, JT, what are your thoughts? Um, I was amused that, that, you know, they arrived and the balloon was just sitting there uh, unattended. Um, That's... That's not how we tie balloons down. That may have been, you know, the sort of method they used at the turn of the century, last century, mind you, um, to hold down gas balloons. But no, you don't hold down hot air balloons like that. Uh, a pilot, whether he was a criminal or not, and I did like that little touch that they said the pilot's an ex-con, which is plausible. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, he w- they would never walk away and leave the balloon there for the simple reason that if you walk away and leave a balloon inflated, it will cool. The hot air in the balloon will cool relatively quickly and the balloon will basically just sink slowly to the ground. So Cleaver's undoing the ropes himself in this situation. Would he be doing that in real life? 
no, because if the pilot or the crew who helped put up the balloon saw him doing that, they would go over and tell him not to do that because, you know, that's not what passengers are allowed to do. <laughs> only the, really when you're flying, the only person in control of the single tie-off line that we have the quick release is the pilot. So that that's something that no, a, a passenger wouldn't be doing. And even someone who was sort of just a right thinking human being, you wouldn't really think, it'd be like stepping onto a boat, boat and just type, you know, detaching the moorline and just floating out into the harbour. It's just a strange thing to do. So we get to this point, and then the balloon decides to float away. Detaching the last of the ropes by itself, that rope wraps itself around Cleaver's ankle, which leaves him dangling from the balloon as it flies up into the air. They start flying over Sydney Harbour. Barney's laughing hysterically. Meanwhile, Cleaver is just dangling, also laughing, but also freaking out. And the last shot of the season is the balloon flying over the Sydney Harbour Bridge. In a, in a very bad CGI shot, let me point out, they did not get a <laughs> balloon flying over the harbour that day because uh, if you looked at it, it wasn't even the same shape balloon that they'd taken off it. There you go. So can you actually fly over the harbour bridge in a balloon? You can, but you need special permissions. And it's only been done, I'd say, half a dozen times in my memory. Um, because it's, you know, flying around Sydney, it's not easy. There's not a lot of places to land. Um, and if the wind changes direction, you end up you end up flying out to sea. So yes, it can be done. Uh, no, it wouldn't be done the way they did it. Basically, there is no commercial ballooning over Sydney the way there is over Melbourne or Canberra, just because you know the proximity of the airport and the fact that there's really nowhere to land. The, the, actually, to the point of Cleaver dangling below the balloon with his foot tangled in the rope, that in itself isn't necessarily implausible. And there have been over the years of, of ballooning, a number of unfortunate incidents where often children have become tangled in either the crown rope at the top of the balloon or a, a tie-off rope. Um, unfortunately, it usually ends up in the rope loosening itself and the person falling um, because, you know, that's generally, unless you've got a knot in the rope there, um, a little bit of cleaver swinging his arms around would have caused the rope to loosen and him to probably fall into the harbour. I see. So my next question was going to be, would the person dangling off the balloon pull it down? But I guess that's no different for the balloon because his weight would be the same outside the balloon as it is for him inside same, the balloon. Same outside or in. I mean, the, the point remains that they wouldn't have taken off or gone anywhere without anyone turning the burner on, which didn't happen. But, you know, in, in terms of TV balloon physics, balloon goes up without, you know, anything but free will, I suppose, then sure. That was the end of season three of Rake. Then we have to wait two years to find out what happened to Barney and Cleaver because season four, episode one started in 2016 and basically we start off, there's a group of Sydney high society people having some refined drinks and discussion around a dining room table. Suddenly, they hear a scream and we see Cleaver hurtling toward their dining room window, smashing through it, landing on the dining room table and then being dragged back up in the air by the balloon before John Waters cuts the rope with a conveniently placed sword, which then leaves Cleaver back on the ground and Barney floating up into the air and flying outside the heads of Sydney. JT, how are we going so far? Yeah, look, uh, accurate as to what happened in the in the show, uh, in terms of what would have happened, I mean, yeah, Cleaver would be dead at that point. I would suggest that um, going through a plate glass window, um, upside down, head and neck first, really would have killed him. Um, they could have sort of solved the whole thing if all the people around the table had just dragged, grabbed that rope and dragged the balloon down. If, you know, friend would have been fine and not flying off to New Zealand. 
and while I did like the the John Waters with the the katana cutting the rope uh, type thing, um, that would have had to have been a sort of a Kill Bill level sharp katana, not a, a, a one that most people would have on their walls because that's a thick ass rope and just cutting it when it's you know held by someone's leg mm, didn't really feel like it was going to happen. But <laughs> yeah, so I, I think we've got so many problems there, so many problems. As the episode continues, the Australian and New Zealand Navy are trying to track the trajectory of the missing balloon, which is still floating in the air with Barney inside it. Cut to Barney, crouched inside the balloon. He's shivering, freezing, recording a goodbye video to both his wife and his ex-wife, and the balloon is slowly soaring into some very grey clouds. Not once do they use the burner again during this sequence, and then the balloon ends up eventually coming down on its side onto a beach somewhere in New Zealand. I have many questions, JT, but I'm going to throw to you first for your comments. Um, sure. Look, there's no reason it necessarily would have been cold in the basket. It wasn't sort of hinted that he was suddenly up at sort of ten or 15,000 feet where, you know, it does get significantly colder. So he probably would have been fine. And without the need to, to burn, you know, I guess the flight from between here and New Zealand with decent wind would only take a few hours. So, um, again, within the set of parameters that we've uh, we've established here it's not entirely implausible although considering the size of New Zealand and the the size of the ocean around it it'd be very very easy to miss technically speaking that distance is it possible look if you are flying with a lot of tanks absolutely i mean you know people have covered an incredible distance using balloons usually they would use a slightly different type of balloon called a rosier which is partly uh, gas and partly hot air so essentially you're flying with um, helium and you're using the burner to keep it warm which maintains the lift so that gives you a lot longer duration than just a hot air balloon so the distance and the speed are okay but what about can a balloon go through a storm what happens in that situation yes it can i mean it's it's far from ideal but you, it can be done and there, there are a number of stories across the years of, of balloons flying into storms and, and sort of coming out the other side. Generally what happens is you get buffeted around a lot. Um, you know, it is possible that, um, you know, you can actually, there have been people who've been thrown out of the basket because, you know, to get that much turbulence if you haven't been hanging on. Uh, but yeah, it, it's something that, we are very, very aware of. That is why we do all of the checks before we fly. And if there's something like a storm on the horizon, you just don't fly. What about if you are in a storm and there is lightning? So can lightning pierce the balloon? No, um, that's not generally what happens um, because lightning, like any other electrical charge, generally needs to be grounded to do a huge amount of damage. So it's absolutely possible that lightning will pass through the balloon and even through the people in the balloon without sort of doing anything like the tanks exploding or anyone sort of dying. There have been sort of cases where, you know, balloons in storms have been hit by lightning and things have gone wrong, like tanks have exploded or the balloons caught fire, because that's probably the biggest danger, because obviously lightning is, you know, a few million degrees. You don't want that hitting a balloon envelope, ideally. Commonly, you kind of you hear in shows like air crash investigations that planes will try to fly above storms. So, so is it a similar principle with balloons? Yeah, look, absolutely. You you could um, fly over the top of it. Would be preferable to flying through it or under it. The best thing you could do would be to land, though. I mean, the only reason you would do that, I would imagine, if you're in, t- trying to set some kind of uh, distance record, if you're in competition and that sort of thing, they may choose to do that. But again, the top of a, a cumulonimbus cloud can be 
you know, 20 plus thousand feet, you, you know, you sort of need oxygen and really, really good clothing if you're up at that altitude. If you're in this situation, JT, in a rogue hot air balloon, you've left the heads of Sydney and you are flying out over the Pacific Ocean. Yep. You are Barney, essentially. I'd land in the water. Basically, I, w- I would call the uh, the Coast Guard or get the crew to call the Coast Guard because, look, this, this is sort of things happened before. There was a, a situation uh, a few years ago where a, a pilot flew um, off the beach uh, in Queensland, basically, in Coolangatta, tried to land on the beach, missed and kept going. And, you know... They called one of them, they called the Coast Guard. They came out there with a boat, picked up all the passengers. They landed the balloon in the ocean and then dragged it all back to the beach. So it's certainly not an ideal thing, but, you know, you can deal with it. You certainly wouldn't try and fly to New Zealand. <laughs> they reference in the show that it was a 50,000 to 1 chance of Barney surviving. Do you agree with those odds, JT? Um, sure. Why not? <laughs> if, if I'd been betting yeah. on that happening, that seems like a fair, <laughs> a fair estimate. Okay. I think the advantage that Rake has compared to a rescue special ops or neighbours is that Rake is a pretty farcical show and it's got a self-awareness that it is farcical. So I found that you suspend your disbelief more because Rake knows that it's a bit ridiculous. But with rescue special ops and neighbours, they're, tr- they're trying to be serious. It, it leans into the absurdity of the whole thing um, and therefore it, it works absolutely. So you look, Rake was, it was fun. Yeah, not necessarily accurate, but it was fun. And so on that note, JT, may I ask what score you'd give Rake? I gave Rake a 6 out of 10. 6 out of 10. Okay, that's very interesting because it has simultaneously beat Rescue Special Ops and Neighbours, despite being a pretty completely farcical show. That, that's it. But I think it, it was embracing the, the fun side of it and that sort of thing yeah. that, um, that, that gave it that. And plus, you know, they went to the effort of, of using a real balloon at the beginning, if uh, if not many, many other things. (laughs) Well, look, it was a very entertaining two episodes. I thoroughly enjoyed them for what it's worth. Uh, So six out of 10 for Rake. Let's move on to our next show. Unless you had any final comments on Rake, JT? No, 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 that's it. That's, um, to be honest, I I hadn't watched Rake before, but I did find it quite entertaining. So, you know, and I didn't have to wait two years between episodes. (laughs) Happy days. Highly recommend. It's a great show. Okay, so continuing with less serious shows and continuing with the theme of a main character dangling by rope from a hot air, from a rogue balloon, let's take a look at... Now, I mentioned earlier that this is kind of cheating because it's not an Aussie show, but and it's also animated, but we brief, briefly referenced The Simpsons when we recorded last time, JT. You did reference that cartoons and kids' shows often get ballooning more more right than adult dramas because they aren't trying to overcomplicate things with unrealistic accidents. They're they're not focused on the drama of the balloon. Not sure that's the case here. We'll get to that. But this episode, it's called Natural Born Kisses. It's the 25th episode of Season 9, the season finale of The Simpsons for 1998. JT, what happens in this episode? Um, this is one of those vaguely disturbing Simpsons episode that focuses on Homer and Marge's sex life um, because they're, they have, they're sort of they're having an unsatisfying time and they discover that um, getting it on in unusual places um, makes them both uh, happy. Um, and so they end up um, on the run from the police, um, as you'd expect by doing this in the middle of the day in a, a children's uh, golfing park, I believe. Um, so they end up on the run from the police and they, um, they hide in a uh, hot air balloon, uh, which Gil, um, who is the perennial loser from The Simpsons, has been living in because it's a hot air balloon that's advertising their prices being sky high. Ha ha ha. 
Um, and so the balloon takes off with a naked Homer and Marge in there. Um, and, you know, that's that's really how it all kicks off. Is it realistic to any degree? Look, um, they use a burner in it. Um, at one point, um, they try and steal some um, some clothes off a clothesline between two buildings and Homer ends up much like Rake, uh, hanging uh, upside down below the basket. Only this time, uh, Homer's naked. And he tells Marge to uh, to pull the thing beside the thing, which is a great instruction and very Homer Simpson level. And she pulls it and it's clearly a burner, um, but it does actually shoot out from beneath the basket and sets Homer on fire, um, which is not something that you generally have in a balloon because we don't generally have the need to shoot fire downwards. Apart from that, you know, they've, they've pretty much got it right. Um, you know, Marge turns the burner on, the balloon goes up and, and that sort of thing. So it's, yeah, they got the physics right. And how does this all end for Homer and Marge? Uh, well, basically, um, after being dragged up the side of a, a glass church uh, naked oh, yes. in, a, in a fantastic scene with some really good um, some foley work there, some good uh, some sound effects, um, they end up flying into a, uh, a football stadium where the big game's on and Homer's uh, butt blocks the, uh, the winning kick. The balloon lands, they fall out naked and wave to the crowd and the balloon then flies away, which, again they actually got right in terms of the physics because without the weight of Homer and Marge in there, the balloon would absolutely take off and probably just fly and land somewhere outside the stadium. So yeah, the whole thing of them being nude inside the um, the stadium and being on the front page of the paper and showing it to their kids because again, it's a disturbing layer in that early Simpsons, possibly <laughs> when it got close to jumping the shark. But look, this was a really fun episode. Do you reckon that they would have consulted with any balloonists when writing this episode? I would be surprised if they hadn't, to be honest, um, or this, perhaps one of the writers had actually been for a balloon flight because, I mean, that show has such an enormous sort of writing cast. It would be surprising if someone hadn't had some contact with it because, yeah, they got enough right in the whole thing that you know people don't look at it and you know throw up their hands unlike possibly uh, one of the next things we're going to be talking about so it seems to me that we've got two shows like rake and the simpsons which are both a bit more farcical they they don't take themselves too seriously they're pretty over the top but at least in the case of the simpsons they're getting the general principles right which a lot of dramas don't seem to get right so JT, with that in mind, what score did you give The Simpsons? I actually gave The Simpsons a 7 out of 10. Wow, so it's even beat Rake. It's it's even beat Rake, um, you know, mainly because of sort of the way the balloon behaved was more true to life um, than, than Rake was really. So, uh, yeah, 7 out of 10. Okay, well, I'm very curious. Can an Aussie drama beat that score? So before we get to our next show, I'm curious, JT, has there been a show that has portrayed a hot air ballooning accident that you have seen accurately? Look, I had a, a long think about this, Oleg, um, and honestly, I couldn't come up with one because the thing is, most ballooning accidents are really boring to look at. You know, it's either a hard landing where someone, you know, gets a bruise or worse, you know, breaks a leg or that sort of thing, or really the worst thing that can happen is you're running into power lines. But that's not what you might imagine as being sort of a ex big explosion and all that sort of thing. That's, you know, a balloon stopping abruptly, everyone looking vaguely freaked out, and then a bunch of people hopping away from it so they don't get electrocuted. So it really isn't a sort of a, a cinematic type thing, um, any kind of, of balloon accident, which is, a, you know, for better or worse. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it sort of seems to be a, a lazy screenwriter type thing of, oh, I have to inject some drama here. 
oh, there's certainly something could go wrong with that. Bang, there you have it. Well, on that note, let's see if Australia's longest-running medical drama can get a hot air ballooning crash right. We are taking a look at All Saints. This is Season 8, Episode 19. The episode is called Satisfaction. And the episode opens with the Ambos arriving at the aftermath of a hot air ballooning crash. We don't actually see the crash happen. It's just the aftermath. Um, I'll, I'll let you describe it, JT, but there was a lot of carnage. It, it was a very nasty-looking crash. What are your thoughts? Uh, carnage indeed, Oleg. Carnage indeed. Um... Yeah, what has happened here is not a balloon crash by any means, um, as evidenced by the fact that there's no balloon there. What they've done is they've strung some brightly coloured fabric up in a few trees and dangled some, some ropes about, but there's no sign of a basket, there's no burner there or anything like that. So what happened in this situation, and I actually remember that when this was um, being touted or when it was being filmed, um, they tried to get a, um, a balloonist to be involved. And everyone told them to get stuffed because the storyline was so over the top uh, and so sort of poorly representative of what ballooning was or what a balloon accident would look like that no one, even sort of balloonists in need of money, would be involved. So I think they took that really low road of going, oh, no one will know the difference. We'll just stick some streamers up. I love that for a lot of the shows we've mentioned, uh, the hot air ballooning community always knew that it was coming up. I guess you guys are so tight-knit that everyone knows everyone that you hear on the grapevine, everything that's happening, right? That's it. I mean, there have been things where the people have tried to sort of keep secret uh, over the years, and usually it gets out because, as you say, small community, big mouths. And it's also very interesting that the hot air balloonist essentially said no, not going to be involved. It's unrealistic, as you say. But the producers then said, okay, we'll just do it anyway. And I guess they think that they can just get away with it because most people would suspend their disbelief, especially not knowing what what it's actually like to be in a hot air balloon and not knowing all the ins and outs like you guys do. But it's interesting because you then watch this crash and you've got bones sticking out of people. Bodies scattered for, you know, for, for hundreds of metres and things like that. Yeah. Look, it's just terribly unrealistic because really in that sort of situation, um, the instruction the pilot would give to the passengers is crouch down in the basket, hold on. And if you are doing that, then you are not sort of thrown from the basket because, you know, once again, if you're crouched down in the basket, you've got, you know, quite a lot of what's one of the most resilient substances in the world around you, which is wicker. So it's just really not realistic that that level of injury, and wasn't the pilot dead? It's just that the whole thing was wildly unrealistic and, and very poorly done. And the baskets are quite deep, aren't they? That, that's it. You know, you, most people find it hard to actually climb into a commercial balloon basket. It's not the sort of thing that you just sort of fall out of. You know, you really have to, to make an effort to get in and out of them. Do you remember in Neighbours, uh, Paige somehow managed to jump out of the hot air balloon mid-flight somehow? She, she did. I mean, perhaps she was very athletic. But yeah. <laughs> Okay, so it seems that All Saints, it sounds to me that they've got this wildly wrong. Do you have any final comments on it and what score would you give it? Um, I do have one final comment because the, the first patient they were looking for, the one that apparently, again, like Paige, jumped out of the balloon or fell out of the balloon before it crashed, um, would have been upwind from where they were coming from. So 
what you would have, because she was just there. And if she had have jumped out as the balloon was coming in, basically they would have had to walk a hundred plus meters back through the bush to find where she was. Again, just not really thinking about, um, you know, the way these things worked. But um, Oleg, I gave uh, All Saints a one out of 10. Oh, okay. Who would have thought we could get something lower than a three, lower than a neighbor's? My gosh. So All Saints, one out of 10. We're going to take a shift in direction now because so far we have been looking at things going wrong in hot air ballooning, either crashes, runaway brides, hen's nights gone wrong, etc., etc. Can Aussie dramas be more realistic when they don't showcase ballooning disasters? I know there was uh, an episode of Home and Away, JT, that featured hot air ballooning. I couldn't actually get the full episode, so lucky for you, I've only shared with you one, a one-minute clip to watch. It was a long minute, Alec. <laughs> <laughs> so look, JT, I don't know if that short clip is enough for you to get any commentary out of it to see if it was realistic, but to set the scene, it's a romantic hot air balloon flight You've got two of the cast members there, Luke Mitchell and Samara Weaving's characters. They're in the balloon. It's very mushy. There's a pilot there as well. My first question actually seems to be that balloon pilots, in all these shows, they seem to very frequently have to third-wheel soppy couples professing their love to each other while the balloon pilot just stands there in the, in the basket pretending not to listen. Is that a common thing balloon pilots have to endure, JT? Look, it's not unusual, to be honest. Um, for the commercial guys, uh, it's funny, they actually um, charge a significant amount more for that. That's what they call a romance flight. And uh, yeah, you will be charging. If you're paying, say, $350 for a, per person for a regular balloon flight, you'd be looking at, say, seven or $800 a person for a romance balloon flight. And some of that's got to be danger money for the pilot to have to listen to all of the sort of the protestations of love and that sort of thing. Okay, so that would be mildly realistic. Any comments generally, JT? Can you deduce anything from that clip? The, the funny thing um, about it uh, to me was they did what um, so many shows do, which is they use a, a, a massive basket made for maybe 20 people and they've got three or four people in the pilot in there. I mean, I'm, I'm always trying to, to see where the camera people are crouched down in the other sections of the basket when they do that, because it's just, it's not a practical business model to fly a balloon that size with just three or four passengers. So there's, there's something else going on. And I don't know if that was enough for you to say to give the, to give it a rating out of 10. I, I gave it a six out of 10. Um, the only th the thing that they got wrong, obviously, was the one so many do. Um, no sound of burners interrupting their conversations. Um, you know, was it was a lovely flight there. There was a pilot in the background. They were in a, a real balloon. But yeah, once again, no burners. So yeah, six out of 10. Okay, well, if I can find the full episode, I will be sure to share it with you ASAP, JT. Fantastic. <laughs> I was just getting so deep into that, you know, character dynamic. <laughs> well, you mentioned the burner not interrupting conversation. That's very pertinent because... We are up to our final show, which I think might address that much more accurately. And that show is Please Like Me. It's season two, episode 10. The episode is called Margarita. It's the season two finale. And actually, that's another thing I've noticed, JT, is that hot air balloons generally feature in the season finales of shows. 
all the shows we've watched, it's they've very often been season finales. And for some reason, they've featured hot air balloons. It is indeed. And I think there must be something that goes on in a writer's room that goes, how are we going to finish this, the end of the season on a bang? Someone says hot air balloon and then go, that'll do. Because, yeah, it is incredibly common. So taking a look at Please Like Me, the plot here is pretty simple because there's no disaster. Josh, the central character, his dad has organised to propose to his girlfriend, May, on the balloon. Josh and his boyfriend Arnold arrive and the balloon is being inflated as they arrive at the scene. The burner doesn't seem to get used continuously, which is good. They fly over Melbourne. The pilot, he seems relatively competent. Before I continue, JT, what are your general thoughts on the whole setup process as they get to the airfield and as they head up into the air? Yeah, look, they got it really, really right. I must say they're actually inflating the balloon uh, when they got there. You know, there were balloon crew who were wearing gloves and doing all the right things. Um, I was amused that, you know, the um, his parents seemed baffled that they couldn't take their brand new baby uh, up in the balloon. They definitely would have been told that when they booked, because really, A, baby, not really a safe thing to take up in a balloon basket <laughs> when, you know, you've got a chance of having a, a fast landing. And secondly, none of the other passengers want a brand new baby spoiling the tranquility of a beautiful balloon flight. <laughs> yeah, so in general, there is, I don't think there's a hard and fast limit, uh, but generally if the kids are old enough to see over the side of the basket and not get bored after, you know, 10 minutes, then they're almost old enough to fly. Certainly you would not fly a baby Again, with the exception of the fact that if you were possibly irresponsible parents who had been ballooning all your life and you had a ballooning child, because I did a lot of flying when I was a baby. Well, you come from a hot air ballooning family, JT. It's, you know, they didn't have babysitters, so they just stuck me in the corner of the basket. <laughs> As the episode continues, one thing that happens is that when Josh's dad proposes to May, the burner keeps... The burner keeps... The burner, ke- the burner keeps interrupting him really, really loudly. And this stuck out to me because so often when we've watched these shows, JT, you've mentioned to me that they get the burner wrong because they either don't use it at all, or if they do use it, they make it look really pretty and beautiful and it doesn't really interrupt the people talking. But in this case, it was used comedically. But even though it was used comedically, I'm assuming it was quite accurate. It was, yeah, again, very accurate. It is impossible to hold an extended conversation in a balloon without being interrupted by the burner. It's one of those things that, particularly with the older balloons, um, like the the burner we have is 10 or 15 years old now, it is a loud, you know, piece of kit. The brand new balloons um, that, you know, are being made now, um, the burners are significantly quieter and you could conceivably hold a semi-shouted conversation with one on, but, you know... Being interrupted by a burner like that is is so accurate to a flight. And look, to be honest, the, the pilot could have been doing it for laughs while the while he was trying to propose because that's, <laughs> that's certainly not beneath some pilots, particularly as I actually recognise the pilot who was flying that balloon. Ah, so when this episode was being filmed, did you guys get contacted about it? No, th- this was a one they, they clearly did a very intelligent thing is basically they just booked a commercial balloon flight over Melbourne. And, you know, and said, this is what we want to do. We want to film within the confines of it. You don't have to do anything. And that's what they did because pilot's name is a guy called Peter Wright, who's a very dashing pilot, very good pilot. And yeah, he was there doing his thing. So it was, it's good to see. And even that, actually, let me pull out one thing. 
I think that Josh would have had a, a bit of a word had to him for throwing up over the side of the basket. <laughs> that's just nuts. Although his hangover did look pretty convincing. Like he actually looked hungover. It, it, it was. And look, it's not unusual um, for people to go out and sort of party all night and then turn up and, and go ballooning. I would suggest that it probably does detract from the enjoyment of it slightly. Uh, in my younger days, you know, certainly not when I was in control of the balloon, but I've turned up to sort of crew or or fly with a wicked hangover. And while it does wipe out the hangover quicker than, you know, your, your average bacon and eggs, it's still not the best way to enjoy it. <laughs> Particularly when there's a proposal happening. So, And speaking of which, have you actually ever experienced a balloon proposal, JT? Uh, I have. I've, I've had a, over the years, I've had a couple of different sort of balloon proposals, one of which uh, was positive, one of which was not. Um, and this was many, many years ago now. Um, and yeah, the, the guy told me in advance that he was going to do it. I, I said, look, how confident are you that she'll say yes? And he was pretty confident. And he asked 10 minutes into the flight. Um, she basically shot him down. And I spent the next 20 minutes trying to find the first possible place to land because oh, it was not a, not a comfortable vibe in the basket at all. Sounds horrific. Uh, yeah, look, it's, it's one of those things I, I, I would say to now to anyone considering it um yeah be pretty sure that she's going to say yes or he's going to say yes before you actually do it because it's very uncomfortable for everyone else concerned if they say no any form of public proposal right just approach with caution really good advice good advice indeed Well, the proposal in this episode doesn't actually go to plan either, although I wouldn't say it's a sad ending. She still loves and cares for Josh's dad. For those that are interested, she's just not interested in marriage. But then the balloon lands and After they've landed, you see them rolling up the balloon in the background. Overall, JT, do you have any final comments on Please Like Me? I guess it would have been nice if Josh and the family had actually helped pack up the balloon. Um, You know, that's just something I look at as a pilot because that's sort of part of the experience. But no, look, they they literally managed to get everything I I could note right. Um, And they did it by not overcomplicating it. You know, it was... It was something that was in the background. It was it was lovely and well done, but they didn't try and milk dramatic tension out of it. And so I think it, it worked really, really well. Yeah, the drama was in the characters. It wasn't in the balloon. Absolutely. And look, that probably speaks to a the better scripts that maybe Please Like Me has compared to some of those uh, older dramas that relied more on sort of personality and sort of big set pieces. Um, and it could speak to the quality of the actors as well um, because, you know, Josh Thomas is a, is a very talented actor and they do manage to sort of really, um, as you say, wring the drama out of the character dynamics as opposed to any external um, contrivement. So overall, JT, what score would you give Please Like Me? I am giving this a rare score. Um, I am giving this a 10 out of 10. Wow, what a note to end on. This is amazing. I'm just... So thrilled uh, that after all the shows that I have made you sit through, JT, over the past two years, that it hasn't been for nothing. Our quest has concluded with actually finding a show that got things right. So this is a very exciting moment, I think. That's absolutely right. It's a show that's, you know, everyone can be proud that's Australian made and, yeah, get out there and watch it. And it's so interesting, and I think what you said earlier, one of the key takeouts from this excellent score for Please Like Me is how they just hired a regular commercial balloon flight to work with for the day of the shoot with the actual pilots. Yeah, look, do that. If, if you're trying to do a show and that sort of thing, maybe give one of the commercial guys a call. Give Balloon a loft a call. 
um, and get them to, to work with you because what you're going to come up with is just a hell of a lot more engaging and accurate in case that's something you're interested in in TV production uh, than, you know, anything that you make up with. So, to summarise, as we get to the end of our hot air ballooning expose JT, over our two-year investigation of how accurately ballooning has been represented on Aussie TV, we have ranked six shows. The lowest ranking goes to All Saints with a score of one. Next, we had Neighbours on three. Then we had Rescue Special Ops and The Flyaway Bride on five. Home and Away on six. Rake also on six. The Simpsons, our wild card on seven. And Please Like Me on ten. An exceptional score. And another key insight from this, as we've kind of hinted at throughout the episode, JT, three comedic shows uh, fill the top three ranks. Mm, that's it. If you try and over-dramatise things, I guess you lose accuracy. Well, JT, it has been a fascinating insight. Thank you so much for going through all of this with us. Before I let you go, obviously, the hot air ballooning community has been impacted by COVID-19 like everyone else. Do you guys have any plans once restrictions are eased? I would suggest that the moment the restrictions are eased, we will probably be popping down to the Hunter Valley and doing some flying down there. Uh, because, uh, yeah, look, there absolutely is a light on the horizon. We have done social distancing very well in this country. Um, and it's, I'm, you won't often hear me say I'm proud of other Australians, but in this case I am because yeah, we've done it well, which means we will be able to get out and do the things we love soon. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I am glad JT. And if I can think of any Aussie dramas that haven't been covered by us, then I will let you know in an instant so that we can boost your viewing playlist during COVID yet again. And likewise, if any listeners out there know of any shows featuring hot air balloons, let us know, and I'm sure JT will come back to help us dissect them in as much surgical detail as we have done in the last three episodes. Looking forward to it, Oleg. Remember, you can read JT's book on how accurately hot air ballooning has been represented in film and TV. It's called That's Not Right. It's an ebook. It's available online. JT, thank you so much once again. Pleasure, Oleg. Good to talk to you. And that's it for another edition of Mount Cola's fastest-growing Aussie TV podcast, I'm Oleg Novak. I'll catch you flaming galas next time. <laughs>